Hello, I'm James O'Halloran, and this is the second part of my podcast with Rosa Lewis. If you haven't listened to part one, do find it and take a listen. It's good context. But this part, we really get warmed up and get right into the grittiness of becoming enlightened. We talk about Rosa's experience of losing her mind, picking up on signals from other people's subconscious, does psychosis have a purpose, how to make good quality decisions, and Rosa's thoughts on death, ambition, the climate crisis, the schooling system, and her recommendations. Please enjoy. Um, I thought it was interesting, just as we were reflecting after we turned off the mics, I was just kind of, you know, moaning about having a cold and kind of being under the weather. And, and I was saying, oh, my short term memory has gone out the window. I can't, I can't keep with it. But you said something interesting about that. What's what you kind of made a comment about short term memory as it relates to our conversation. What was that? Yeah. So my experience is that when we like drop down into our hearts and are talking more from the heart or experiencing the world more from the heart, I lose my memory or my memory shifts. I don't have access to my memory in the same way. It's almost like being in a kind of bubble of there's this moment and then things sort of pop into my memory, but it's like things that resonate rather than like having access to a timeline. So is that almost a quality that, (laughs) because I'm reverse engineering it thinking, oh, okay, maybe I'm in my heart now because my memory has just fallen away. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I think that's good. Um, I thought we'd I'd trigger this kind of second part uh, by asking you, what is it like to lose your mind? How would you describe that? Like, Yeah, well, it's there was like different phases of it because, like I said, when it first started happening, I didn't really realise that it had happened because everything was so good, gr- so great. Mm. The first six weeks, I just didn't really notice. And then for like the following sort of however long it was, maybe nine months, I was kind of just sort of like slowly expanding out into parts of consciousness that are, I guess, like less normal Mm -hmm. and like without worrying about it too much. And then I had an experience, I had a medita- an intense meditative experience where I then, like after it, I basically felt a kind of low level of like being on magic mushrooms. Okay, but what's that ex- mean? What's your, what was your experience? Um, just that I was quite sort of like giggly quite a lot of the time. <laughs> um, and also like, yeah, people were, mu- or everything was a lot like softer and kind of there'd be a bit of like hallucinogenic kind of stuff from what I was seeing okay. and like... Any particular poignant memories of what um, you might have seen that okay. yeah in a work coming to okay. <laughs> in a work meeting where oh. there was like I had a really strong thing where everyone's faces sort of like melted a little bit in the background kind of disappeared and like fractalized and what, what was was that a good experience or it was fine yeah I or? guess I've like done some hallucinogenic drugs before and kind of I don't know I, I think I was just it felt I felt okay in my body I felt good in my body mm-hmm. and the, and it was like it didn't it didn't feel bad it didn't feel like it was a bad thing it felt fine it felt okay. just like interesting and just a thing that was were you aware that their faces probably hadn't melted off yes yeah I was like at that at that stage I was definitely clear that it was hallucinating and able so you, to were you just able to like, carry on yeah I just carried on <laughs> <laughs> what were you focusing on like trying to <laughs> just sort of like relax into it and kind of <laughs> but by the way did you know that your face has just dripped onto the table um not sure if you're aware it's not just your makeup <laughs> like a salvador, salvador dali like painting yeah, yeah um well, i quite like the salvador dali quote i don't do drugs i am drugs <laughs> which i hmm. relate to yeah um yeah so that was kind of happening for a month and then i went on a meditation retreat and again, just like massive, just kind of really push myself mm-hmm. and then basically just like fell off the edge of like normal human experience. And kind of there was that was like that was a kind of point of no return where I couldn't get back. You're going to have to bring that to life for us. Yeah. So it was very much like dropping into the heart, but it was like with no access to my mind. It was wow. just like there's only this moment. That's all there is. And was everything still positive then? Was it like a blissful state or was it the full heart experience of sorrow and, you know? The- yeah, it was a bit of everything. It would, it would change moment to moment. So there was a lot of like grief and compassion for lots of like like societal trauma. Mm-hmm. 
and things like the earth. I really felt like there was a lot of grief in the earth, Mm -hmm. the the ecological state it's in. It's almost like a whole bunch of processes kicked off in me that were kind of, it's like leading up to that point in the year or even longer, I guess, since 2015 when Mm -hmm. I did that therapy. It's like I'd almost got kind of like OCD about finding suffering and like getting underneath it and being like, what's the feeling underneath this? What's the feeling like going deeper and deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper into it? And also just like deconstructing my perceptions of things. So thinking like, oh, I'd look at the world like this. What if I look at it like this? What if I look Mm -hmm. at it like this? And it's almost like that process took on a life of its own. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, just sort of like following, just kind of like walking around in trance states. Um doing weird things so like <laughs> go on <laughs> i'm kind of embarrassed right? about a bunch of this stuff now but it's also really funny so <laughs> like i got up at three in the morning one time and <laughs> cooked a bunch of pancakes <laughs> cooked a bunch of pancakes from uh-huh. scratch because i was like sure in my head that, that someone was like coming around to eat these pancakes okay, with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and then like I was like so sure while I was making them, just in the same way, like, you know, if you arranged to meet a friend, yeah. they're coming over, but it was like three Convinced. in the morning. Yeah. And then I like laid on the table, put the pancakes out and just caught myself and was like, this, <laughs> this person is like not coming to did my you, house. Did you know who it was who was coming? You know, like you. Uh, yeah, I did. Yeah. Was, <laughs> it, was it different to a dream? Because that's the type of thing that you could kind of dream about maybe, no? Um, yeah, it was more like real and more kind of like like real life but yeah. was it but it's kind of dreamy being in the heart mm. and being in the moment there is a dream. that's what i'm wondering was there like almost a quality of that too? okay so yeah. you something cut through and you realize that yes you and weren't then, going to have a visitor basically like everything did you eat all the pancakes i did yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was the benefit of that it was a weird trance date <laughs> well win-win right yeah. <laughs> um yeah, my mind just did that without it. Like, so some things I was in a kind of trance state and I'd walk around and um, I went through a phase of being like obsessed with getting in the sea. So I lived by the sea mm-hmm. and I, I just believed that like getting in the sea was some sort of like reset button mm-hmm. on us, which is, it, it has some truth. It's really good at like fighting depression and lots. it's really mm. good for your body. But I'd like took that to an extreme degree where I thought I had to like go and reset and well, how frequently? Oh, like, a few, like four times a week or something. Okay. I'd go and swim oh, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, just did lots of stuff, like strange behavior stuff, and then also just to a degree where I'd like sit and think about stuff. I'd like build up these big kind of beliefs and ideas about the world, mm-hmm. and then it would all just like it's like I'd realized that it wasn't true. And then it would all just collapse. And it would be like, if someone said to you now, like everything you think about reality is like false. Mm -hmm. It was just like really terrifying and shocking and like scary and kind of just like there was nothing to hold on to. Like a house Um, of cards. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Just like this horrible, like panic feeling. And then afterwards just being like feeling so stupid for thinking all these things. Do you think that was it your mind is had created things that you were now believing in and then you kind of like like the pancakes or whatever you know your mind yeah is that the way you see your mind created that and then like you kind of saw through it or you caught yourself yeah it's almost I think it's more like we're constantly interpreting signals okay that's like how we create our realities nice so our brains are constructing like our visual field and our beliefs about the world and yeah like our bodies are doing lots of things like we've got like an internal time block and we've mm-hmm. got like heat sensors and like we're picking up on other people's emotions and mm-hmm. we're constantly receiving signals from the world mm-hmm. and then turning that into a reality and it was like I basically like blew apart the bit that receives signals so I was just like we basically shut down and only pick up certain signals. And when we yeah. pick them up, we very automatically like translate them in the way we've always done it. Mm-hmm. And it was like by dropping down into my heart, I kind of, it's like I'd somehow got rid of some amount level of resistance where 
normally we kind of walk around with a bit of a closed heart and it protects us and keeps us safe and it was mm-hmm. like I just blew that apart and was just kind of like open to picking up all these different signals from the sh- the collective conscious and the from different pla- from other people's subconscious and other people's wow. from- experience and you were picking up signals from other people's subconscious yeah wow. and then so there was like that element of it that I was picking up way more signals than we normally mm-hmm. would mm-hmm. And then also I'd kind of, I'd just, in the mind, I'd kind of blown that apart as well and just gone, forget everything about how you've always translated stuff. Like, mm-hmm. think about everything creatively. Okay. So it's almost like I can look back now and see that I had, I was kind of trying to make sense of something mm. that, like, now looks a bit, like, the 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 solution that I came to at the time was, like, a, a bit ridiculous and kind of, like, laughable, but there's... But you were testing out, down, it, some it seems truth. like you were almost like testing out what tools that you had at your disposal you could trust and to what extent you could kind of trust them for their wisdom almost. Right. Yeah. That's a really nice way. I, yeah. That's, yeah. So like, I is, feel is like your... I know my experience really well now. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Because I was, you know, because I was just, when you were saying like you were picking up the kind of subconscious of other people in your heart, like my question around that was, was it accurate? Could you trust it? Was it right? And if so, how did you know? But I guess part of what you're also saying is like you had almost, it sounds like you almost decided not to kind of trust the constraints of your mind anymore mm, and kind of let yeah. it become free. But then you're making free associations that turned out to be not true. But like it sounds like you're almost going through a prototyping phase. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel like, that, yeah, that's a really good description because it's, yeah, I feel like that's how I know my intuition super well and like... Mm. I've like made so many mistakes and yeah. just got to the, yeah, tried everything almost, <laughs> been to all the different parts of my consciousness, all the different weird corners. And now it's like, yeah, I know what, what's there and I know what works and what's kind of, what is positive and helpful huh. and what is distraction. And- Cause that's what, for me, I, I think about this quite a bit. Like that's what it's around. Like how can you trust the decision that you're coming to or how can you trust your heart or how can you trust your gut or how you know you might feel that this is not the right thing for me to be doing but you know society dictates I should be or you know whatever it is like what script are you listening to what like what influence are you kind of allowing to rule you at that moment But, but it sounds like you have gone a long way of trial and error and experience and like wacky stuff like to be able to almost it's almost like, a, you know, I don't know why it comes to mind, but like a sniper rifle, you know, he has to like a, a sniper with a rifle, you know, you have to kind of dial in and be able to kind of trust the site and like set the parameters for how, how accurate it is and all the time. It sounds like you've kind of gone through a load of that, like what you can actually trust, what is mm. the kind of right information that's coming towards you. And yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'd love to be able to understand more about that. What you were saying about like, there being lots of scripts and things coming from society and there's definitely a lot of that around and it's it's like that gets it gets embedded in us in so many ways it's like in our minds and our thoughts but also like if it causes so if we've like had difficult childhood and taken on scripts from our parents like mm-hmm. and that's been traumatic that will be held in the cells of our body as well and that it needs to be like processed and released um because otherwise is that why they use the word liberated on some level yeah possibly yeah hmm. it's like getting getting it free yeah yeah and i think it, it's the language of like should isn't it mm. it's like should is kind of such a contracted like word of mm-hmm. what we what we feel we should be doing either because we've taken on messages or because someone's telling us and i think it's like trying to move away from that and more to like this much more like relaxed kind of natural state of our being Mm-hmm. and yeah I think even like paying attention to things like your own language can really help mm-hmm. with that so yeah trying to like like there's words if you just like free write about a problem or mm-hmm. an idea and kind of write down what you think about something and how you feel if you pull out like the more like soft feelingy words that's kind of what your heart wants whereas if you pull out more mm-hmm. like hard words that would be like your brain thinking it through and there's mm-hmm. lots Interesting. of there's kind of lots of different tools and tricks of ways that you can, I guess, like pay more attention to what your experience is. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I guess with the objective of like zoning more in on those things that are like joyful and feel there's like a very, there's a different um, like body sensation in me. If someone 
if I if I'm like going on a should I should do this I should do this mm-hmm. it's like a real kind of like contraction I can feel it and like an anxiety feeling and like all those you're kind of, of like trembling almost things. yeah yeah and like a rigidness mm-hmm. and then there's like the joyful like oh I'd love to do that that's got a real like relaxed kind of like I can almost feel the energy just like flowing Flow. mm. more okay. um and it's yeah trying to I guess understand yourself better so that you can more easily make decisions that lead you more to that kind of more like loving flowing state but so this is fascinating for me because I see this as a coach you're objective to other people's thinking like that's what I spend my time doing so it's often obvious that you know they're kind of putting a load of shuds in their way and and that's because they're living up to what they their parents want them to be or whatever it might be and it's it's very obvious but sometimes it's really difficult to get a grasp on that when your own head you know like because you have have different voices or different options or so and it sounds like you've done so much work to be able to know the kind of the boundary of that like where to be able to trust it and at what point like because you've literally lost your mind (laughs) or i mean we'll talk about more, more about that but Certainly by some conventional definitions, you were in psychosis, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. So so you've gone quite a long way to be able to understand where the boundary is. But is there, <laughs> without the people who choose to do it, that, you know, that kind of hardline approach, um, are there ways of us understanding and being able to trust our, our kind of own wisdom and our own, there's a nice book, actually, the difference, uh, the crossroads between should and must. And so her, the author kind of talks about um, it should be all around must, like what must you do with your life rather than what should you do with mm-hmm. your life? Because should has been given to you from somewhere, um, whereas must is comes from within. But is there anything you'd speak to around that to help me and other people understand where, you know, how to trust you know, the wisdom that's coming or, or um, believe it? Yeah, I do think it's important what you said about like that you do that your clients and I think it is hard to do it for yourself I think that's like it's worth acknowledging that it's just a hard it's really hard to know yourself and it's great if people have the opportunity to do it with with someone else so I I think you can almost like create if if there isn't someone that you can speak to I think you can create that scenario and so like by writing something down Mm. you can write it down and let it out and then come back to it more object like with more space to look at what's there yeah also interestingly when I lost my mind a lot of it was talking to people in my head I've always been one of those people who when I walk around I like have fake conversations with people (laughs) in my head (laughs) I don't know do we we all do that (laughs) 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 oh maybe I'll always be (laughs) gentle um I've always kind of naturally done that and then (laughs) When I lost my mind, that was like taken to an insane degree of like believing that people were telepathically communicating in and like all sorts of stuff. But it was kind of helpful in that instead of me just like existing in myself, it was almost like having some seeing myself from someone else's perspective. Because I was imagining when I was having this conversation with them, it was like, Mm -hmm. what are they thinking about me? What are they So you kind of like in the same way that when you talk to someone about something, Mm -hmm. you're kind of being taken a bit outside of your experience. Yeah. There was like that dynamic going on. So I think that's really important. So it's kind of like trying to find ways to create that either by actually talking to someone or writing stuff down. Yeah, I I I mean, you know, just purely from a coaching perspective writing stuff down like just just free writing you know just not even containing it it's just for me anyway uh, I've had I've received a lot of coaching over the years and I think it's sometimes I would say it's the next best thing to having coaching in fact in some senses it's better than coaching just like kind of just letting yourself flow on a page because it does externalize what's going on in your brain something I do sometimes is just ask myself questions so I was like, how do I feel about this? And I'll just write my answer. And then another question will come and I'll just keep on answering those questions. And I think, yeah, I I do that a lot. And I think it helps hugely to externalize and kind of almost get some distance between what your mind is coming up with. And, Mm -hmm. you know, and then you can use your mind from a different perspective to kind of interpret it then. Or maybe you're using your heart. Maybe there's other aspects going on. Yeah, I think that's nice what you said about like the free flowingness of it. Because I think if you can get past 
the, I get this is sometimes when I write about or think about an issue or something I'm finding hard, there's like bits I don't really want to acknowledge mm-hmm. in myself. There's things that are like hard to face or, mm-hmm. are, you know, embarrassing or like painful or whatever, you know, for whatever reason. And I think if you can like kind of push through that and let yourself write those things down and let it out, then it, it's like that's you get a bit of freedom and a bit more space around those things and you're less... Mm. Yeah, and you can tell a page things that you might not tell other people, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and then burn it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, the last time we got together, you told me a story about when you meditated with somebody. Are you happy? Do you know what I'm talking about? And yeah. If so, are you happy yeah. to? No, I'm happy to talk about it. I think this was, when was this? This was probably like December time last year. So this was like a really big moment for me because it was the moment when I realized that we are all a lot of these like signals and things I'm picking up on aren't just in my head like yeah because that's what that's what stimulates me to ask the question because at times you're getting voices in your head and and you're believing them but then they turned out to be not real and you know it's it's a real gray area between what is actually real and what isn't you know yeah So yeah, the the story was that I was uh, meditating with in a small group, and um, a friend of mine was there, and we met. We meditated for about an hour, and I'm I get a lot of like shamanic like visualizations coming through when I meditate. What does that mean? It's almost like watching a dream okay. play out, and it can vary. Like sometimes I'm in it, and it's like first person, and sometimes I'm in it and like watching it as if it's a kind of film or something but it's very kind of like dream dreamlike I was getting a lot of this happening during this meditation there was just like a lot of stuff coming up and it was kind of it's it's often combined with a sense of like energy coming up from the floor okay and sometimes people that when I'm sat with people meditating they will also appear in the visualization and before this happened I thought it was just my mind like I don't know doing stuff (laughs) Yeah, yeah. <laughs> doing weird stuff um but then in this visualization and a lot of them are very like quite violent and sometimes quite sort of like sexual or like st- just strange stuff mm-hmm. kind of nightmarish sort of like strange visualization stuff like, is it kind of almost like watching a film is it kind of like you're seeing like a but you're you might be part of it though is that yeah okay. yeah but it's more like yeah it's kind of <laughs> emotionally more like watching a film than being in a dream like there's okay. a sense of detachment from okay. it okay okay um so yeah. it's yeah yeah so in in this visualization my friend i basically um had a knife and i stabbed my friend in the back of the neck a few times and then i took the knife and like stabbed him in the what's that called like the sternum the All sternum right. yeah the, yeah bottom of the neck and then like pulled the knife down the middle of the ribs and then pulled his ribs open and inside there was just like this big kind of like void and that was like the end of that visualization okay and um we finished like the meditation and so you're just so so there's a few of you you're sitting on cushions you're meditating for an hour and this comes into your mind and you kind of watch it like a film almost yeah okay yeah and then yeah at the end of the meditation we were like just having a bit of food together and, and kind of chatting and um my friend sort of sat down and kind of stopped us we're normally quite just like light-hearted chatting and he just mm-hmm. like stopped the conversation he said i have something i re- feel i really need to like talk about mm-hmm. and he is an anesthetist in a hospital and he said um did you hear about that guy who got stabbed in the town near us and i said no and he said oh this guy got stabbed in the neck a bunch of times and then they brought him into the um a&e place in an ambulance mm-hmm. And by the time he got in, he was dying. His, he was like bleeding to death. And then sometimes when that's happening to people, they cut your ribs open and like pull your ribs apart to try and stop the bleed. I'm not sure, stop the bleeding from the heart or something. Okay. So there's some, it's like a medical procedure of some sort. Um, and he said like, yeah, they, they did that to this guy. And when they were doing it, the my friend had just like a really strong sense that they shouldn't be doing it, mm-hmm. that he was going to die and that, that like they should just leave it and he said that when they opened the ribs, he felt his like soul jump out of wow. the the ribs. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, I hadn't said anything about what had happened to me in the meditation. Mm. And I was just like, oh my God, like what? <laughs> like, what? <laughs> wow. um, so that was kind of like when I first realized that it's not just 
that there's that like it is interactions and you are picking up on signals from other people and that is there is like some sort of soulful kind of he, depth to it just for the sake of going down the street so he hadn't shared any of that you didn't know anything of the story there's no simple way to explain that that could have come into your mind by some obvious way that we're used to that you know you might have heard yeah. about that story or anything there's nothing no like i literally had no idea that that had happened to him or he'd been involved well, what or... do you think was it why was he so compelled to share that at that meal time himself yeah well, what I've found is that over the summer when I was really quite like unhinged from reality, mm-hmm. it's often I would have conversations with people where I was really, really connected in with their subconscious. And I was like, it's almost like I'd flipped my reality and my main mode of existing was my subconscious. And I struggled to, like, if I really paid attention, I could like follow a conversation and mm-hmm. be in my conscious. But I was just like automatically down there and like conversing with people on a subconscious level. It's like there's like we're constantly talking about stuff and telling each other stuff Mm -hmm. and picking up on signals. And we know stuff about each other that like our conscious minds have no idea. Mm -hmm. We're like, going, you know, sending feelers out into the collective conscious. And like some people in particular would like pick up on things about me that they could like never no and they'd kind of they wouldn't like say it in a conscious way but they'd kind of describe something and and clearly be talking about my experience and then Mm. it was just like really crazy and confusing um but yeah it's it's just I guess there's like on some level he that was a shared that shamanic Mm. healing or whatever was occurring between us was like a shared experience that Mm. we went through but he didn't realize it at the time but it somehow like bubbled up into his conscious and he felt like there was an urgency about now I need to like I need to talk about this I need to share it and and how did you ask him did anything like was there anything peculiar about his meditation before you actually stopped to eat together um no we often he's often commented on like having a lot of quite intense like energetic feelings when we've meditated okay together like energetic sensations and things Mm. like yeah energy rushing up from the ground and stuff like that um, so is this something that you're able to cultivate or interested in cultivating you know uh, almost like as a you talked talk to described it as kind of shamanic healing like you know is this something that you're able to develop or you ha- like has this kind of happened again or since or yeah it's happened a bunch of times it happened a bunch of times just like not when I wasn't it would just happen like I couldn't mm. stop it it was just what happened when I meditated and particularly when I'm on retreat like I just connect with people and end up in like a shamanic energetic healing like situation (laughs) like I just can't I can't stop it um what does that mean what's an example of that um what's an example of that yeah like is it again kind of watching the films almost like is that is that what you mean yeah sometimes or it can be like quite like physical trauma release like what what do you mean yeah I guess like when you have really intense grief like even if you've someone's died and then you, you haven't felt the grief and then years later you go back to it mm-hmm. like your body will as you're like letting it go your body will will shake and tremble mm. it, and that's like it coming out of the cells okay and my body will like do that sometimes well yeah not so much since i've come out of this what what happened to me over the summer mm-hmm. but before that and in the year before i was like just constantly like connect- it felt like I was kind of connecting in with other people's like trauma and like having like a trauma release kind on of on their behalf type thing yeah yeah or like it was somehow it's very nice like, of you. Yeah. <laughs> like some sort of like shared experience where I was assisting there it or yeah and did you ever talk to these people afterwards or kind of understand no, I felt like it was too weird. Too okay, weird okay, yeah, fair enough, stage. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah so Did you just go up and say you're welcome? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In that year, I kind of didn't. I, it, it just loads of stuff was constantly like happening mm. all, all the time. So when you say in that year, we're only talking about, you know, maybe what, in the last few months, yeah. it's kind of like it's still it's almost it's been a long year, probably three years. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. I, I mean, it, you refer to the summer and that's only a few months ago, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. But it's still pretty fresh. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Since then, this like this autumn, I've been a bit more mindful about and about like trying setting up some really calm situations and doing a bit of like shamanic healing and mm-hmm. 
yeah it's been it's been really cool like it's definitely something that I can like channel and um run like sessions for people where they feel they experience certain things like they've experienced the kind of visualizations and have they been getting the gold light coming out of their head no no one's reported that yet (laughs) (laughs) still working on the mastery of that that's my plan to get rich (laughs) (laughs) i'm glad to hear there isn't so there you go six weeks of bliss that will be thirty thousand pounds (laughs) that's well worth it (laughs) so okay so it sounds like you are beginning to get a sense of how this can be useful for other people or how you can wow that's incredible I suppose you've had like this massive experience. We have <laughs> just remember we haven't even talked about the 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 wall. The wall. <laughs> <laughs> is, it worth, <laughs> is it worth bringing the full color of this picture to sure. life? <laughs> yeah. Say so the start. <laughs> the start of the meditation retreat where I really like blew my mind and heart open. I, I got into one of these trance states and basically like climbed climbed a wall like a three meter high wall and was walking around on top of it and then like rolled off and then like walked into the meditation now, hall. three hold up <laughs> three meters high is like how many how many stories is that that's a bit that's like a story maybe i'm over exaggerating <laughs> it was like yeah like as high as a tool a tool room like okay. the, the ceiling of okay. a tool okay of a high room and yeah. then you fell yeah, off the wall yeah <laughs> Were you okay? I was fine, yeah. Just I wasn't bounced. phased. I was just like in this trance state where I had just like full trust. I was just surrendered to like it being, I was in the right place at the right time. And whatever I was going to go through, like that's what I needed to go through. Wow. So you just kind of gave yourself fully to the whatever experience was coming your way. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah, it's almost like I just let go in completely into intuition and didn't question anything. Mm. Any like ideas or what i should be doing so and, and <laughs> it's worth kind of carrying on the story from that point because yeah of where this might have ended up i think is yes go for it yeah okay yeah so i think then i went into the meditation hall during a talk and was just like acting strangely and i guess there was like a response that i'd gone mental which from the people from the teachers of the okay. retreat yeah and that I needed to co- like contact men- the, the crisis mental health service. That you yourself needed to. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and I mean, they took care. They took care of me in terms of like I guess they'd kind of taken me out of the meditation hall and like you know made it a bit gentler for me and kind of like made sure I was eating food and getting sleep. Mm-hmm. And they got someone to come and pick me up from the retreat. So in terms of that like physical care, that was there, but. Yeah, there was like a strong recommendation to contact the like crisis mental health um, team. And that was just like really like not what I needed, not what I needed to hear. It gave me a lot of kind of like shame of feeling like there was something wrong with me. I also like know people who work for the who worked for the crisis team and they said like that would have been a really bad idea because you would have been like it's not really like what it's for and you probably would have been medicated and so i guess just to back up a bit i mean in some respects you can't kind of blame people for wanting that based on your behavior climbing Mm -hmm. up a really high wall falling off like laughing you know you know just some of the behavior was a bit unusual and yeah like in some respects you can't fault people for kind of being concerned for you and not really knowing and perhaps suggesting this but i think the kind of interesting thing is this this was all operating at a meditation center which i suppose in one respect what you've understood about like how to kind of become enlightened is that you have to kind of like i'm inferring but you have to kind of push the boundaries of yourself and so on some level, you would have expected that to be a more conducive environment, uh, or, or hoped at least to be a more conducive environment for you to be able to almost explore some of the stuff that was coming up for you, which is, sounds like you're actively doing. Yeah, definitely. Whether that was super conscious or not, probably yeah. not. But Yeah, I think that's right. And I think there's like an element of, for me, what is so important is, well, there's kind of two things that are really important. And one is like, like compassion and understanding like meeting someone's like suffering Mm -hmm. and the other one is like trusting that people is that inner knowing like trusting people's inner knowing Mm -hmm. and I think that you know I did get I did get a lot of that in the like care that was taken of me but when it came to like 
there was a very strong pressure to contact mental health services like almost you really ha- you should do this there's something wrong with you wow. and that that's like a different I think that's like a different message isn't it it's like if you know when they asked me how I was doing I was like yeah I'm fine and then you know I'd say like I put you know I shouldn't have climbed that wall that was a bit like (laughs) that was a bit much and I've you know I'm not going to do that now and I'm going to take care of myself and you know like we were conversing and having sensible conversations and I was like you know like listening to their advice about like eating some food and getting some sleep and being mm-hmm. careful with myself I was like oh yeah like that, all that stuff makes sense <laughs> so you <laughs> you're participating you're you know you're following their guidance yeah and, and was there more yeah. behavior that they you know after that event after that conversation where they might be still continue to be alarmed no I think that that was like it had kind of kicked off about 24 hours before that and then okay. escalated to that point and yeah. so that it was like I guess it was like out of their comfort zone yeah. which is fine but th- like I think the message of this is out of our comfort zone Mm. and so we're going to ask you to leave and maybe that's better for you because meditating probably isn't what you need right now Mm. is different to like your you know you're you're off your rocker go and like get medicated and but it kind of brings up like when you talked about this when we met up a few weeks ago and you talked about this it kind of it felt a bit mind-blowing to me because, you know, we commit people who are mentally unstable, right? And like, you know, back in the day, they would have had all sorts of terrible treatment. And I don't know how much better it is now. I mean, it's just me- medication probably, but nonetheless, it's not great. But it kind of begs the question, like, it, you know, is is there almost a purpose to their to their kind of psychosis? Yes. Well, that's the other thing that I believe in. I believe, yeah, I fully believe that psychosis is it's an expression of something that is either a personal and this I guess part of like Jung's how he transformed how we approach mental health Mm -hmm. is that he fully believed that even the most extreme psychosis is an expression of something that that person is struggling to express okay so um it might be that they have some trauma that's so buried and so unbearable for them to be at but has reached such a high like boiling point Mm -hmm. that it's like coming out in these strange ways it comes Mm. out in kind of like symbolic language and symbolic ways and there'll be like common themes and threads with that so like lots of people who suffer like sexual abuse for example they'll often like hallucinate about like snakes or talk about snakes or Mm. it's like a kind of common theme and like you you yeah different traumas will have different kind of like archetypal Mm. themes that come out of us or it's it it, it's potentially something like spiritual and connecting into something bigger so like shamanic stuff Mm -hmm. um so they've yeah there's a really good ted talk called psychosis or spiritual awakening which talks about that in tribal cultures all around the world there's always like a village or town shaman mm-hmm. and it's like what happens is some at some point in their kind of development someone starts having visualizations and like experiencing reality in like a slightly strange way mm-hmm. and everyone's like oh that, yeah they're the next village shaman he's just like, becoming a shaman this way. <laughs> yeah let's like cultivate that and treat them and show them how to like harness it and use it safely and like integrate it into village life whereas what happens in our culture is someone starts having those things and everyone goes oh there's something wrong with them stick them on medication or put them in a mental hospital or and they're often people who end up being like homeless or addicts or like having trouble integrating with society because they've got this other this other stuff being channeled through them Mm. again it feels like we're kind of navigating this thin line between like almost like going down a river between two banks you know like because it's no like there are people who i don't know anything about this by the way but there are people who are probably should be on medication and you know Mm. it's not they're not becoming a shame in it you know but then there are people who might be you know it's it's kind of navigating between like again it's like it goes back to kind of on some level trusting and intuition and and um being able to make good quality decisions like how do you know like which is which is which well one of the big things for me was yeah again this is like credit to I guess how I was treated on that retreat is that like taking care of your body is so important Mm -hmm. and I think that yeah I've always been very careful about like diet and exercise and sleep and all of those things and I think that I can even like in my absolute worst furthest out states of consciousness where I was for weeks Mm -hmm. like I was still very much taking care of my body Mm. 
And I think that that has an impact. There's like a level of wellness that is just like if your body's safe, you can your consciousness can go to crazy places and go really far out. And then you can you're like back in your body when you're asleep and when you're and you're like resting and recovering. And mm. there's a sense of like having the the wellness to support that whereas I think what happens with a lot of people I guess like I was saying with, it's like somehow they start experiencing these problems either their trauma or like shamanic stuff coming through and then that sort of like disconnects them from society and then they end up yeah homeless or addicts and that then starts depleting their wellness mm. and then it starts spiraling out of control like obviously addiction is kind of it's a downward spiral isn't it and it becomes really negative for that person and for like society because that person isn't safe enough to mm. explore these things yeah whereas I guess yeah I was kind of I had that level of like physical safety and wellness to like even if I completely lost my mind it's like I, I've still got, got a safe I'm still like here and yeah. safe physically. yeah you could venture you could venture with it or adventure into it you talked a bit about um trauma and it being kind of trapped in the body and stuff can you say more about that like it seems that you're that's coming from the way you describe it mm -hmm. to me sounds like more from your experience rather than something you've read or absolutely yeah so I think I guess that there are different kind of research out there about like how it's held and things like that but I think yeah definitely from my experience it's that thing of when when you're in a really stressful situation an overwhelming situation and you kind of like tense up and you can like feel it and there's like tension in different parts of your body you might like hold your breath and like it's too much mm -hmm. there's like a level where we can process that so some level of like and particularly as adults like if something's quite stressful mm -hmm. we'll like tense up and then afterwards we'll like relax mm. and then that will be let go. Mm -hmm. But particularly when we're younger or if there's a situation that's like hyper stressful mm -hmm. for us, basically it's like we can't process what happened. It's like too much. It's too painful. It's too stressful. It's too like the consequences of it are too unbearable or too yeah. scary. And so instead of feeling like that and letting it pass through our body, mm -hmm. we just contract around it and we keep it. And then it stays in in the body, you know, like at a cellular level, or what's the way to kind of release it? It sounds like you described earlier on when when it's kind of releasing that you're you can kind of like be racking or kind of trembling, I guess. But is there a way of precipitating that, you know, to kind of? Yeah, it depends. I think there's different types of trauma, and they'll be held they'll be held in different parts of the body. If a situation is overwhelming, mm -hmm. if something is overwhelming, so it's too much for us to take in, yeah that will often be held as like it's like a sense of having too much in us and maybe it will come out as like tears like really strong emotions mm -hmm. so there's a sense that that yeah like for me it was like coming from a family where we weren't you know emotions weren't very well like expressed mm -hmm. it was just basically I'd I've had too much emotion in me that hadn't been expressed and so that just had to come out so that was like crying and tears and I guess to like access that it's like finding the part of you that is sad or is has whatever emotion you don't want to feel and and um and just making space for that and allowing the tears to come or the the feeling of those mm. feelings to come um and it can also it can also be like joy and other mm. emotions okay. like we also repress those in our culture and like also just all the types of emotions we we you know can be repressed and it's like looking for them and connect and connecting with them and then like letting it come out um, yeah being open to the experience, the full experience of them, rather than thinking, oh, I'm going to cry, I'll just not do that. Yep, shut down, shut down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's there's a kind of more like a, internally like aggressive trauma, which is when there's been some abuse. Mm -hmm. So it might be like verbal abuse or emotional abuse or physical abuse, anything mm -hmm. like that, where someone who is more powerful than you and, and stronger than you has like treated you in a kind of like overtly like aggressive way and and uh, sometimes also not overtly like it can be quite subtle or whatever and you know typical being as a kid if uh, with a parent or teacher or whatever situation mm -hmm. then what can happen is you can like internalize that script so if you had a parent all the time who said you're shit at this you know you're shit at playing music you're shit yeah. at playing whatever it is um you will like internalize that and that voice will like become part of you so you'll constantly be telling yourself that you're shit mm -hmm. 
and the way you almost have to like get into that dynamic and feel either and feel like the feelings of the small part of you which is that child which is probably like all that kind of sadness and mm. shame that that might cause but also you can dismantle it by getting into that part of you that's saying that to yourself And so almost like letting it loose rather than keeping it in you and feeling like shame and contraction around it Mm -hmm. just by like giving it its full kind of reign to just do what it wants. Mm. And it kind of it gets comes out of you and it's like not trapped in your system anymore. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I think the the first example or the first thing you said there sounds like a great um, illustration of why constellations work so well. But the second Second thing you began talking about, like finding it within yourself, how, how do you go about doing that? So shadow work therapy would, would okay. facilitate that. But also um, there's a visualization exercise that I used to do from um, Vajrayana Buddhism, okay. where you imagine you're, you're kind of like listing out in your mind for this part of you. And some people call it like the inner critic. And you're kind of like listening out for that part of you. And then you almost like visualize yourself stepping through a like portal into a world where you can see that aggressive part and that part of you part that's being attacked Mm -hmm. you can like see them see the dynamic playing out and you listen or you you see what they're saying but you're a kind of step back third point on the perspective okay and then you imagine basically like taking a sword and like killing the aggressive bit and you kind of like harness all the power you have inside you and you like cut it and then it disappears into like a big everything just like disappears into just like bright white light Mm -hmm. and then you kind of address the part that was being attacked and it's like it absorbs all the light and then you have a conversation with it where you you say i can't remember exactly there's like a series of things but one of the things you say is like you don't exist Mm -hmm. and then that that whole part just like disappears into light and that all goes into your heart wow so there's a whole procedure but is there a way that you would like is there a video or a blog or a book or something that you would point people to to yeah so there's a recorded retreat called the warrior's path okay that talks through that that process and if someone googles that they'll find it easy i think so yes um ken mcclod i think his name okay it's pronounced sounds helpful yeah it's cool well, I thought we'd wrap up by kind of, I'm going to fire a few questions at you and we maybe, um, if it's possible, let's keep kind of shorter answers if we can. Um, so with that in mind, my first question is, what are your thoughts on death? My <laughs> thoughts on death? Nice and succinct to be Sure. <laughs> um, funnily enough, I was talking about this yesterday. It's quite, and I have quite strong opinions on death. Good. I think that as a culture, we're really, we hide it away. Mm. And one of the things that has really like shaped me and made me so aware of the fact that our lives are short and we need to, like valuing the preciousness of my life, I think, is that I actually like saw my mum die. I sat with her when she died and there was something just really, there's something so powerful about that. Mm like just watching it and experiencing it and realizing on some like visceral level that we all die and it can happen. And you were 17, right? Yeah, my mum was 50, so wow. really young and she got diagnosed with cancer and died like 6 weeks. Gosh. Later, so it's really it can really be like mm. your time can just be up and I just feel like that's like instilled in my attitude to life and I think it's a putting aside all the kind of grief and loss like Mm. as uh something that's kind of shaped my approach to life it's been like a a reminder of how like precious it is i Mm. think and do you think that anything happens after we die no i think that we only get one go on earth um because i think that we're like so i guess the thing that makes us inherently us is partially like our physical bodies as well that's like a part of it yeah so I think that when we die, we disappear into, we basically just like go back into being pure awareness, which okay. is quite a, you know, nice sort of pleasant yeah. experience. <laughs> so it's kind of like almost just like a letting go and relaxing into that. Okay. That sort of like back into the soup of mm. life. Yeah. <laughs> the soup of life. <laughs> <laughs> I've also like read some stuff on near death experiences and there's kind of like themes where 
when people nearly die and then come back there's mm-hmm. like releases of like serotonin or a, a general mm. feeling of like moving towards the light and i think that's kind of what it is it's, I don't know if I'll order the soup the next time I have an idea. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a question. Should we be ambitious? Because I know from in some elements of kind of Buddhism, at least, you know, it's mm-hmm. like no striving. Yeah. Um, do you think we should should be ambitious? I am. A re- I'm an ambitious person. Yeah. That's just like in who I am. Yeah. And if I was to not be ambitious, I would be repressing part of my experience. Oh, so, nice. Okay. Yeah. like in You're allowing, honoring that part of yourself yeah. that's just true to who you are yeah okay. it's allowing allow, allow being ambitious is allowing and letting go um mm. and i don't know I, I guess maybe other people are less ambitious and then and they're okay with that and that's yeah. also fine but i think it's like what are we ambitious about yes is the important question yeah so i'm ambitious about spending lots of time with nice people <laughs> I thought you were going to say spending lots of money. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm not very ambitious about that. Um, spending lots of time with nice people yeah. and working, to, having fun. I'm sorry we've had to take you away <laughs> for this very long conversation. No, this is a perfect example. Um, yeah, just like working together and uh, like having fun and achieving something that we're all proud of, like that's cool and we might as well like that's some high ambitions and mm. i guess my some of my question comes up because i think people can get stuck on ambition almost and and not be present anymore um and almost be so striving and striving and not you know be around to smell the roses type thing what do you think about the climate crisis what do i think about the climate crisis yeah God. or how should we think about the climate crisis or um, any anything around those questions the climate crisis i think that the earth is really i think it's really sad it's the biggest thing whenever i think about it i just feel like immense sadness body language looks pretty heavy yeah and i think we need to like show up and feel that sadness as a collective Mm -hmm. i think that's almost more important than than like doing something so i don't know almost acknowledging the grief or acknowledging the the emotion around it too yeah it's like if everyone stopped for a minute and just went, isn't it so sad that the planet is in a real state and we have enough food to feed us all, but people are still starving. Mm. And if we just could feel those feelings and like share in that together, then the actions would like naturally arise. Mm. It'd be like, this is something we all care about, obviously, because it, everyone's well-being it relies on it. From that cheery topic. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Here's a weird one, but if you could change something about the schooling system, I think I'm kind of mainly thinking about primary school, but is there anything you would change, like the, the curriculum or any, you know, what would you do? Oh, 100%. If, I could, if someone would put me in charge of the schooling system. <laughs> Ding! It's just happened. What, what, what are you going to do? Well, I, I was really lucky. I, the, my first school that I went to, the, it was a really really small school and the head teacher refused to set homework we just did like loads of cool creative projects building stuff drawing do you want to name check read... your school <laughs> <laughs> sounds amazing yeah. might have changed I think a bit. it's changed a bit okay then. all right yeah. let's not do it um uh, but if my head teacher's listening and, yeah, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah i just think like we're preparing kids to leave school to know facts and it's like, that's what Google's for. <laughs> like, we've got Google. <laughs> that's like the one skill we don't need in this modern world. We need to, like, be creative and work as teams and, like, have emotional intelligence and have all sorts of, like, practical skills. Like, the amount of employers I've spoken to who can't employ young people because they don't have the practical skills or the mm. communication skills. To be a value in this society, you don't need to be able to pass exams. But if you can build things and draw things and like talk to people and like that's all amazing. Rosa Lewis, Minister for Education. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> You've got the job. <laughs> Please get the job. <laughs> um would that mean Boris Johnson's my boss? <laughs> Let's not get into that. Don't, don't worry about it. Minor details. I'll ask you the question. What would you do if you were head of education? <laughs> Damn. <laughs> Such a good question. Where did you ever come up with it? Um, well, I think as a short term answer to that, which isn't very short term, but you could, 
I'd love if if in this country and in Ireland, because I know a bit about the education system there and I know it's not that brilliant. It's not like we have to reinvent the wheel because in Finland and in other countries, they're doing it really, really well. So starting kids at seven, you know, instead of four in this country and, you know, having smaller class size, the same teacher going with them all the way through, which can be a really good thing probably isn't isn't always and yeah just not having homework and like kind of making it like a lifelong love of learning you know and actually really trying to understand like so my short-term answer is i'd love to just take one of the models that are working really well from other parts of the country and other parts of the world and just like adapt that here as a starter uh start school later and all that but then i think really for me i'm really interested in you know how we understand who people like the individuals that are in the class are like not just you know now we're learning this and everyone has to do the same because that just doesn't work so well so like trying to understand the strengths of each individual in the class um and kind of changing things around a lot so that you're able to look for that understand what that looks like and feed it back to the child and help them develop that and then you know if the kid is busy staring out the window all day it's not because they're like just a spacer they might be an astronomer in the making like you have to be able to cultivate that you know and work with that rather than tell them to pay attention and kind of you know look at what we're doing now because they might not be interested god you know i'm an adult and i'm not interested in what people want to teach me unless unless i've really you know elected for it and even then i can only maintain my focus for a certain period of time like these are young kids you know like and there's a lot of diagnosis of adhd which are they is it that or is it just you know that they're just a bit checked out from the system that they're in and you know this the education system is victorian it's been around a long time it hasn't really changed much and in fact if anything it's probably getting worse like with some of the ofsted stuff you know i understand there's a need to measure things but really we could be a bit wiser with our instruments rather than ticking boxes yeah yeah just exams yeah and what were you saying about um the study where they um a while ago now but in new zealand they did a 23 year long study where they looked at a group of three-year-olds and figured out what their strengths were and then they looked at the same group when they were aged 26 23 years later and lo and behold they have the same strengths and i talk about this a lot um because certainly when i found out i was like that's unbelievable the thing that's most people kind of hear it and they think oh yeah that makes sense but actually the really bizarre thing is that we don't do a good job of helping children understand what their strengths are and keep that alive with them so that, you know, when you reach, for me anyway, when you reach the age of 16 and you have to decide what subjects you're going to do in school and then when you're 18, what you're going to do after school, it's really hard because I'm like looking out for myself thinking, oh, maybe I'll be a plumber, maybe I'll be, you know, a doctor, maybe I'll, you know, I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's all these shiny things to choose from and if I'm you know if I'm a plumber does that mean I can't you know like you know it just seems so like I have to make one choice and that's that whereas actually if we could adapt the education system so that we helped children understand well we understood what the children's strengths were and then we helped them understand what the significance of that was for them and kind of kept it with them kept it alive for them all the way through their schooling not in a really pushy way like you're an engineer like not not that but you know you're actually really good at this and really highlight what it is that they're naturally doing then i think by the time that those children got to the age of 16 it'd be much more obvious that yes i'm going to be an astronomer i've always been fascinated by stars yeah like i've already chalked up my 10,000 hours as a child doing this stuff like yeah amazing i don't necessarily need to do like degrees and degrees and degrees because i get it I know this stuff, you know, yeah. and I think that that kind of inner wisdom that comes from curiosity and just fascination and playfulness and all of that is often lost. And then, yeah. you know, it's like, what do you want to do when you grow up? I have no freaking idea, you know, because it's just a bit divorced. Yeah. So that um, really frustrates me. And I certainly could have used that uh, myself, you know, because I just wasn't clear. And there was so many things I was interested in. And I'm interested in all of those things. Like, you know, like, like I'm into var- variety. So, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, anyway, and it's taken me a long time to figure out what it is I'm kind of naturally good at. And when you do that, like, it's just, yeah, like, it's really fulfilling. It's just, yeah, you kind of. Work becomes like a, can become like a source of joy rather than yeah. like a thing you have to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it, it, totally. And it is totally possible to be at the very moment doing the thing that you love 
someone else to be benefiting from it and you to be getting paid. It's possible to have all of those three things and more at the same time. Yeah. Whereas I think most people, unfortunately, haven't had that experience. So I think a lot of people just feel that that's not possible or... Yeah, sure. Yeah. They, yeah. And I, yeah, back to the kind of original question for why I do this podcast, I just wanted to get people who I could talk to who have kind of got an aspect of that, at least in their career or in their work life. And so we can hear what it's actually like and, and kind of be inspired to not necessarily follow in exactly their footsteps, but be inspired to follow our own footsteps. Yeah. Like um, find your own curiosity and... Exactly. Yeah. Wherever that may end. Yeah. It's so interesting. I think what you're saying about finding strengths in people. When I work with young people, I feel like there's a massive crisis of like self-esteem across young people. And there's a lot of anxiety. And I feel like it's because they're always being tested. And so they're always mm. being told they're wrong or they could do better or they need to get higher mark. Mm. Whereas what you were saying is like a completely different approach, isn't it? It's like saying you're good at this and how can we cultivate this in you and it's almost like goes from being testing a, like testing mindset to like a cultivating mm, totally. a nourishing mindset which yeah because I suppose in the, in the end you would kind of have more like mentors really who would guide you along the way so people who you know the astronomer who's already made it who can maybe kind of shepherd you a bit is there anything you'd signpost this to that you've found particularly helpful like authors, books, websites, spiritual teachers, retreat centers, videos. It's so hard because there's like there's been so many different things. Anything jumping to the top? Anything in your heart right now? <laughs> yeah, one of the things I found really early on actually, Danielle Laporte, she's called, and she talks a lot about like intention setting and setting. So I guess going back to like the ambitions, it's kind of like setting goals with soul she calls them and it's the idea that instead of setting a goal that is like I want to achieve x y and z by x date yeah and get x amount of money yeah it's like I want to feel creative in my life and then what happens is no matter what your situation whether you're like a parent or a young professional like you've got all the whatever stage of life you're in mm -hmm. you can like find small ways and big ways to like no, like feed the creativity in your life. Got it. That's much more of an intention. That's kind of, I want to move more in the direction of X. Yeah, yeah that's that's nice. What will you do more of or less of from now on? Like you, you, you've gone through a big journey. You've certainly accumulated some wisdom. And yeah, how, how are you going to lead your life differently? Yeah, I definitely plan way less and sort of strategize way less. And just, I just sort of go with the flow a lot of the time. Okay. And that's not to say I'm not, I don't get anxious or stressed or, you know, those yeah. things that I, I just, if there's stress or anxiety or difficulty, I'm just like, oh, that, now I'm facing some difficulty. <laughs> and then it's like, you can objectify it a I'm lot this. more yeah. rather than be just so in it that you're yeah. kind of on your knees. Or thinking that like, oh my God, I'm anxious about this thing. So I need to come up with all these plans to try and stop the anxiety. Mm. it's more just like oh hi like that's how i feel some, right now there's some anxiety in my experience right now yeah mm. um, wow and equally like enjoying the joy that comes up and the good stuff i think this might be my last question what's one thing that you would love people to do or you know if they're to change their behavior or think differently or kind of take something from this podcast or something from your experiences or even if if you weren't minister for education anymore but you're minister for something else what you know what what is it that any one of us could do that would make you happy or think it would be the right thing for humanity there's a sense of like allowing things to be to be as they are which is like a very woolly thing to say it's more like giving yourself space to question what you think is like right and wrong and try and move away from that idea of judging things and putting things in categories which often we project it on the outside world and we get stressed and we think this person's done something wrong and I'm annoyed at them. but actually it's often how we treat ourselves that's where it starts from mm. and trying to move away from that idea of getting things right and or thinking things are bad and moving more towards feeling the emotions that we feel and like honoring that in ourselves and in other people as well, like giving people space. Mm. I think there's like such a, when someone comes to you and talks to you about like a problem or a situation and says like, oh, this is happening, I'm stressed about this. Mm. 
it's like so easy to get sucked into kind of problem solving and that dynamic Mm -hmm. or like thinking or you're like judging what they're saying and trying to work out whether they're right or wrong and actually if you can just like hold space for that person and think like what is this person really trying to communicate to me is it that they're upset or they're they've found the situation stressful or Mm -hmm. and like really listening to what what they actually trying to express what's the feelings underneath it so rather than just getting snared on the first thing they say which might not be exactly like they might be trying to kind of work their way to try and explain how they feel yeah but what's coming out might be just anger at you yeah yeah right yeah (laughs) that's not really what's going on but if you kind of just get you know just react to that first thing that comes out you'll get stuck yeah and and doing that to ourselves as well like seeing that when we act out and behave in ways that we deem as like bad you know angrily or whatever like in ways that we don't like about ourselves it's like taking care to say like oh the reason is because underneath i Mm. feel like this or Mm. um yeah explaining more from yeah how you're feeling your emotions and you started off that question by saying or answering that by saying something around let everything be exactly the way it is or something mm, like that, which is something yeah. I've heard Adi Ashanti saying. And yeah. certainly when I've heard him saying it, that's <laughs> quite a, like he's he's kind of been a spiritual teacher for a long time. He's got his patter pretty resolved. And when he says it, let everything be exactly <laughs> how it is. You're kind of like, oh yeah, yeah. that's a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that the, like our hearts are so much better at doing that than our minds. Mm. Our minds just always see problems. It's almost like what they're designed to do, yeah, see yeah, problems yeah, and yeah. problem solve. Yeah. Whereas our hearts, like, yeah, the compassion of feeling, feeling the fit either with yourself or with someone else, like that is the way of letting it be as it is because you're not trying to solve the problem you're just being with it and creating space for it with equanimity and Mm. very good i think we might be finished unless there's anything else you want to add no i think that's great (laughs) all right will we say goodbye for now sounds good thanks for listening to part two of my very first podcast i hope you enjoyed it pop over to jamesohalloran.com forward slash rosa for links to the things we discussed And while you're there, leave a comment. That's J-A-M-E-S-O-H-A-L-L-O-R-A-N dot com forward slash R-O-S-A. Who do you know that would enjoy this recording? Please forward it to them. Hit follow or subscribe so you get updated when my next podcast comes out, which will be soon. Until then, have a good one.